Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. All right. Welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. Sydney, there's been, um, the, the medicine has been in the news once again, which is usually about a 50-50 split as to whether or not that's good or bad. Most of the time, I, f- I feel like when medicine's in the news, it's just somebody on TV who's telling you like not to eat eggs, or it's time to eat eggs, or that coffee is bad for you or isn't. Eggs are back. I feel like it's made it's eggs either eggs again. or coffee. Isn't that pretty much all wine. they were talking about? Like medically, wine. wine. For a while, I was like, drink six glasses of wine every night. Go to town. You'll be hell. You'll live and forever. And they're like, forget that. Eggs are in. Yeah. Wine's out. Nope. Forget the eggs again. And also, sausage is bad. That's usually the medical stuff that's on TV. Yeah, but recently it's been a lot of uh, discussion about uh, the EpiPen. That's Which right. I've always really liked the EpiPen as an idea because it seemed to... I really like medical devices... That are easy enough for everybody to use. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The the ones that really level the playing field. Well, I'm yes, but it's created specifically it, by leveling the playing field. Do you mean keeping everyone alive? Is that is that kind of what you're no, saying? No, I mean like anybody leveling gets to be, the the life playing field, like the being alive, continuing to breathe. Playing no, field. I mean like everybody gets to be a doctor. You know uh, what I mean? Like okay. anybody can be a doctor with an epipen. Uh, well, I, I mean, I don't know that. It makes it's you, like an. It's like I don't an, know. It makes you a doctor. It's like know. that one scene in Pulp Fiction, where uh-huh. um, Uma Thurman gets stung by a bee really bad. I'm assuming, and she is like dying, and then right. John Travolta jams an EpiPen into her heart, saves her life. Yeah, it's beautiful That's, and heroic. Gets stung by that awful bee. That awful. Uh, awful several bees. They don't show the bees, I think but like it was a, I think it was a horse fly. Yeah, wink. Did you get it? Was that a yeah, good? That was was a good, that a good drug joke? That's good drug joke. So, Sid, what what is the deal with epipens? Why is everybody so hot to hot to trot about those bad boys? Well, I want to tell you about epipens, Justin. But before I get there, I want to take you back. We gotta go back. We gotta go back. Oh, not hey. too far back. Okay. In the grand scheme of of this show, not yeah. too far back. Let's just go back to 1901. Okay. Mm, hold on. Let me set the dials here. Okay. We're, we're here. Whoa. All the clothes are so different. All right. Nobody has electricity. This is wild. <laughs> Wait, really? Some people might have electricity. Uh, it's unclear. <laughs> we are a medical history show. There are we lights. stick to what we know yeah, there here. Are, there are lights, but they might be candles. It's hard to say from this distance. We're staying out of the, because of our future clothing. People we're appear to be clothed, though. They're definitely clothing, clothing and buildings. We don't want to Fire al- is here and the wheel as well. We don't want to alter the past <laughs> and create a paradox or so staying out of their way. Let's, uh, it's 1901 and we are aboard a yacht Okay. on a lovely cruise with Prince Albert of Monaco. 
Oh. It, so he's in a, a a boat, not a can. I I you know I knew that was going to happen. That that joke we were talking about Prince Albert. That's it's because happen. Quarter Point had just recorded in here, and and the, oh, the, the haze of dad joke is still <laughs> thick in the air. So he set off on a cruise, Prince Albert did in 1901, with two physiologists. This is not the beginning of a weird joke. Yeah, two two physiologists and Prince Albert were in a can. <laughs> Um, this is not the beginning of a joke, and this sounds like a really weird thing for him to do, but actually Prince Albert was a big fan of scientific research. He was really intrigued with uh, marine biology and basically ocean ecology, all things to do with the ocean. Mm -hmm. And so he was, it was not uncommon for him to set forth on these sort of scientific voyages with various scientists on board his ship to study whatever the heck they want to study that's out in the ocean. Whatever science people were doing out there. Exactly. So it's kind of a cool use, I think, of his money and yacht. Yeah. Yachts, plural. Go on these science cruises. Turn it into a science yacht. I'm, into I'm, that. I'm really jealous. I would love to be on the science cruise, by the way. With Prince Albert. Yeah, yeah, with Prince Albert on his yacht. And two physiologists named Paul Portier and Charles Richet. Which is kind of cool that they also that, rhyme. That's how they got to be friends, actually. Pa- uh, Paul, let's, let me give you a little history of them. Paul wanted to be a research scientist. He really didn't want to be a doctor. He he liked more like bench research, meaning like in the lab research. Okay. Uh, that was really where his passions were. Uh, he liked the natural sciences a lot. He really loved physiology when he got into it. But his parents made him go to medical school before he was allowed to study all that. Classic all that classic rebel wants to just do science. <laughs> and his parents are like, no, young man, you got to be a doctor. And he's like, oh, man, pop, you don't understand. I love it out there. In, <laughs> In front the of lab. my science bench. <laughs> In the lab. In front of, not my science bench. That's what you call the... Lab, like in the lab bench on the lab. Like Lab bench is better than science bench. That's fun. It is. What's well, a thing? A science bench is not a thing. Okay. Except what would you call bench on which you did science? A lab bench. Okay, that's fine. Anyway, Charles, to me. Charles was more of a renaissance man. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was indeed a surgeon and he did pursue medicine intentionally, not just because his parents made him. But he was also a poet. He was mm. a pacifist. Uh, he was a philosopher. He studied Latin. He loved sailing. He uh, wrote books and plays. He liked physiology as well. And also he was really into poisons. Um, and this is where the two kind of cross paths. Uh, Paul was already going on some of these science cruises with Prince Albert. Um, and uh, Which now- is how they were advertising the brochure <laughs> that he found. <laughs> Science cruises with Prince Albert. On a science one two day science cruise with Prince Albert. Uh, and so featuring bare naked ladies, <laughs> Smash Mouth, Sugar Ray, Prince Albert, science. <laughs> this is the most. Is this a cool science cruise? I still don't think it's cool it's with the bands. It's like a fu- is throwback nineties. be there. <laughs> it's a throwback nineties science cruise. It's his yachting duty wants. Is that who Prince Albert's into? Mm-hmm. Sure. That's a, his bands. So the, the the two cross paths because Paul was already kind of going on these science cruises and then Charles was really interested in the toxins from jellyfish, specifically Portuguese man-o'-wars, mm-hmm. uh, which could be found um, off the coast of France and uh, in the deep waters. And so you, you kind of needed to like get way out there to find them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and as a doctor, he was interested in, you know, they stung a lot of people, they caused a lot of damage. What can we do about this? So they set forth on this cruise 
these two physiologists and Prince Albert, and I'm sure there were some other people, but let's focus on them. Mm -hmm. Uh, People to like run the boat. Yeah. Probably. Probably some other like. Some boatsmen. Some other sailors or whatnot. Uh, on, on a cruise to find them, it was a uh, two and a half month cruise. And their, their plan was to try to collect some of these buggers. On July 5th, they departed from Toulon uh, in search of uh, what you can also call Fasalia or Portuguese man of wars is probably what most people prefer. That sounds more intense. Yeah, and easy to remember. Um, it took them a while to find them. It took them about four or five weeks before they found like a big, I don't know, like patch of them. Okay. A, a herd. Grove. A flock. Whatever. Of jellyfish. What do you Justin, call a group of... What do you on. call a group of jellyfish? Time for our segment. Justin Googles the internet. A pride of jellyfish. A murder of jellyfish. You got anything? You can't stop talking while I Google the internet. That I don't know. Like, I only know so many go names to the next of thing, and I'll like, and then okay. check back in with me. So, I'll be in the lab. Okay, so the, this is this is not a particularly scientific point that I'll make. Then while you're looking that up, for in the four to five weeks it took him to find the jellyfish, uh, Riche wrote a play, Circe, oh. um, which was uh, loved by Prince Albert, performed in 1905 in Monte Carlo. Um, starring the then very famous Sarah Bernhardt, French actress. Oh, right on. So just an interesting little fact uh, for you there. Here's another fact for you. A group of jellyfish is called a bloom. Oh. Yeah, and that nice. Sometimes very rarely, sometimes in other cases called a swarm. But, That's uh, scarier. Bloom. That is what I would call them. If they came at me, I would not think, oh, a bloom oh, of jellyfish. I would think, ah, they're swarming. Ah. They were swarming this summer. Oh, yeah. There's a ton of them. Anyway, so so they found their bloom of jellyfish. They caught them, and they started taking various bits of goo from the jellyfish in various locations and injecting it into ducks and pigeons and guinea pigs and frogs until they figured out that the tentacle goo seemed to hurt them the most, made them kind of, like, sedated and quiet and sleepy, Um, and they named that hypnotoxin. They, uh, they got back to the lab to study this some more. They were still paired up at this point. And uh, it was really hard to get this Portuguese man-of-war toxin. So they had figured out by now that the toxin was fairly similar to one from a sea anemone that was pretty abundant in the coastal areas. So they mm-hmm. could go gather these pretty easily. Um, so they started working with this sea anemone, anemone, anemone toxin. And uh, injecting it into dogs. Their thought process, this this was not intended to be mean. Their thought was that if they did teeny little amounts, that maybe they could build up tolerance. And so then there was some belief, like, maybe we could figure out a way to make humans tolerant to the toxin. Okay, yeah. Like iocane powder, to have a little bit. Exactly. Exactly like iocane powder. So they started injecting it into the dogs. And they had a very unexpected and unpleasant result. Some of the dogs... Uh, who they were injecting teeny, teeny little, way lower than lethal dose amounts of this toxin into, got very sick and died very quickly one day. Hmm. Like eight of them all at once within a half an hour. Wow. Uh, and they and they got and very sick, dramatically ill. Um, this is like a long time after they got the toxin? or They got the toxin. About three weeks later, they got another injection of the toxin, and they died almost instantly. Oh, my gosh. And so they began to to posit that instead of building up a tolerance, that there is some sort of counterprotection that can occur when you're exposed to certain toxins, as in you've been sensitized to it. You got it once, you got a little sick, you get exposed to it a few weeks later, you get super sick. Okay. And they called that 
aphylaxis, which from the Greek for contrary to protection, aphylaxis. Now, aphylaxis didn't sound as nice, so they changed it to anaphylaxis. That is literally why it was changed. So basically, your body gets hit by something that hurts it, and your body, like, freaks out about it. It's like, oh, holy crap, did you guys see that? Everybody, get out here. We have to build, like, crazy defenses and walls and turrets and lasers and everything. Mm -hmm. So if that mother grabber comes back, we are going to be ready for it. We're just going to, yeah, we're going to smash it to bits. Right. Except for then your whole body goes nuts. It's filled with a IgE is the is the antibody that attacks everything, which is the thing that that's always in operation with allergic reactions. <sighs> the thing that makes you release a bunch of histamine and everything gets inflamed and swollen and you get this whole inflammatory response everywhere. Um, that's what happens so it's, dramatically quickly. So it's more like a bunch of bats flying into your town and everybody's like, that sucked. Right. I'll tell you how bad that sucked. If those bats ever come back here, so help me God, I'm going to burn the whole city. I'm going to blow the whole town up. Okay. The, exactly. It. That's a good analogy for it, Justin. That's about people who hate bats that much. <laughs> so that's anaphylaxis. It's it's a fatal systemic reaction. And when I say fatal, I mean if you don't do something about it. Obviously, there are things we can do about it. But if you don't do anything about it, it, it can very well be fatal uh, to a normally well-tolerated substance. So something that not necessarily kills everybody or always kills. Um, and it can involve, obviously, cardiac symptoms, you know, heart symptoms, lung symptoms, respiratory problems, classically, you can't breathe, skin symptoms, you can get horrible rashes, um, GI symptoms, you can get very sick to your stomach, start throwing up, blood can be involved, and then ultimately, basically everything just collapses, okay. and you die, uh, or hopefully you don't, because we do something about it. So they published the whole thing, this was a very important breakthrough that they made, and they went their separate ways. An interesting footnote, Richet would go on to be famous for this and about 10 years later, later win a Nobel Prize. Portier was not mentioned at all in Weird. that. I mean, we know he did it. Like, obviously, I'm telling you this. This isn't a secret. Um, but by all accounts, he was totally cool with that because I guess it was just like at the time it was normal for a younger scientist to just like do all the work for an older scientist and then never get any credit for it. So he was cool with it. He was just happy to get back to his bench. Um, there's a there's a stamp that you can see from 1953 from Monaco, a Monacan stamp. Yeah, maybe sure. uh, from 1953 that commemorates the discovery of anaphylaxis. It, it says something like that on it, the discovery of anaphylaxis, and it's got a picture of Prince Albert and these two dudes, Portier and Richet. A jellyfish and a yacht. God, that sounds awesome. <laughs> it's a pretty cool stamp. I want to blow that up as a poster. If you don't know what this stamp is about, that is the weirdest stamp you could ever collect. <laughs> I, I do want to collect stamps, but just that one. I just want to frame that one I, and hang I that kinda, behind me. I do want that stamp on our wall. So, Sydney, how do we, obviously identifying it is always the first step. How do we treat it? Well, Justin, I want to tell you about how we treat anaphylaxis, but first, why don't you follow me to the billing department? Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed, but we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat, delicious meals right to your door, and not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real 
high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got like fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From 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 a, a box pre-prepared? All I got in two minutes? I mean, filet mignon? That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Welcome to Podphone. What type of podcast are you looking for? You have chosen funny podcasts about bad movies. Rated R. May we recommend The Flophouse. Three friends talk about bad movies and make each other and you laugh. Rated R. The Flophouse is playing at your ears. If you download it right now or whenever. Rated R. To purchase tickets to The Flophouse. You don't need to do that. Just download it. The Flophouse. Rated R. For nudity, I guess. Uh, so, Sydney, I, uh, we were talking just before the break about uh, how to treat anaphylaxis. So, you may already have a hint that epinephrine, the substance that is in the so-called EpiPen, is uh, the number one treatment for anaphylaxis. Now, epinephrine, or you also may call it adrenaline. Mm. We're talking about the same thing, by the way. I actually fully think that's what 
uh, uh, kidding aside, I think it was adrenaline that he uh, pumped in the Uma Thurman's heart and pulled fiction. That's epinephrine. That's adrenaline. Okay. That's It's the same thing. It, it depends on where and who you are as to what you might call it, but it's the same thing. Obviously, this is something our bodies already make. We have this. If you, if, if you call it adrenaline, you might know it's from your adrenal glands. Um, either way, we make a lot of it already. And it, it, an easy way to think about what it does in your body is that you've probably heard of the fight and fight or flight response. Sure. Yeah. So when, when we encounter a predator, we either want to fight it or flight it or run away. Right. Flight it. <laughs> Put it on an airplane. Sure. <laughs> Give it yeah, a I nice mean, that flight. Would fix issue. They never talk about that one. <laughs> fight or run or put it on an airplane. Watch it fly away. Woohoo. You're safe. Uh, the things that it does in order to help you fight or and or fly, flight, is uh, it raises your heart rate, it raises your blood pressure, it will actually direct the flow of blood to your skin and your skeletal muscle. Now, why would your, and skeletal muscle by that, I mean like legs and arms and those kinds of muscles, why would you need that? Um, Think about it. Why would you need more blood flow there? Because you're going to fight or flight. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, because you're going to run away or you're going to fight somebody. It will make your pupils bigger, your pupils dilate. Um, it will dilate your bronchi, your airways. So that's why it helps you breathe because it's opening up your airways. It's going to increase your oxygenation so you get more oxygen everywhere. You get more blood to your brain and it'll also raise your glucose. All of these things to prepare you for some big intense event that your body's about to undertake. So if you can't find an EpiPen, one thing you can do is tell somebody about like, how you're going to go wakeboarding with them later or hang gliding or any other sort of extreme sport that really gets the adrenaline pumping. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're going to do some base jumping or whatever, Ooh. and that will actually do the same thing. Watch a suspenseful movie. Watch watch uh, uh, Scream 3, <laughs> for example. You can <laughs> Listen to our podcast. Yeah. That's thrilling. You think? I don't know. I don't I think, think it's like adrenaline pumping. It is a history show, but <laughs> well, maybe in certain in Speak for yourself. Yeah, I mean... Uh, okay, I will. And I'm saying it's pretty <laughs> really thrilling. Uh, we knew for many years that there was something in the adrenal glands of animals that we could inject into people and make things happen. Mm-hmm. This is how we figured out what epinephrine was, where it came from. Um, there's one, there's a lot of stories of people isolating like various animals, adrenal glands and, and grinding them up and, and, you know, turning them into bits and figuring out what's in them. One of my favorite is George Oliver back in the late 1800s, who was a doctor who, I, I either this is fam- a famous story or an apocryphal story. It could be both. Uh, there's no records of it actually like written down by him. He didn't write it down, but everybody else said this happened, so who knows. He injected his son with ground up adrenal glands from a sheep and then measured the size of his son's radial artery, which is in your wrist. Mm-hmm. And he could tell that it was getting smaller, it was constricting. Um, because he invented the instrument that measured that. He was like a tinkerer, tinkerer doctor who did that. And so he got all excited and he was one of the first ones to like write about this. Like, hey, if you use these adrenal glands, it'll make your arteries smaller. But he used his son? Yeah, but he used his son. Okay. I'm assuming he didn't know a lot of friends. I, I, no, or at least maybe, maybe, first, maybe, maybe they'd learn their lesson. Wised up. And don't hang out with George. <laughs> uh, in the early 1900s, we actually isolated 
uh, adrenaline or epinephrine um, and figured out what it was. Um, most of the time we talk about Jokichi Takamine as the one who, who finally did this and gets the, uh, the credit for the discovery. There were, there were several scientists, just in case there's anyone who's into this topic and debating it. There were multiple scientists involved. We usually uh, cite him with the discovery. Uh, we synthesized it in like 1904, and so then we could make it ourselves. And initially it was mainly used for asthma. Um, because it could open airways. Open airways, right. Right. So for people with asthma, this was kind of an emergency treatment. But we figured out eventually that albuterol, which is now the mainstay for asthma, worked better. So it fell out of favor when it came to asthma. But we were still studying it because we knew this thing did a lot of stuff. And so there are there are like over 12,000 studies in this time period on epinephrine. Um, well, throughout the years. Uh, what can we do with it? What can it help? What is it most useful for? Um through that, we found that it was good for some breathing issues, even though it is not the main treatment for um, asthma. It was good for stopping bleeding. So you'll see us add it to like a local anesthetic if we're going to like inject you with uh, a little bit of something to numb you before we stitch something up or something or mm -hmm. cut something off you. We will put some epinephrine in there so that there's not a lot of bleeding. Okay. Um, we use it a lot, a lot of the time alongside anesthetics in the OR. Um, it's good for code blues. We use epinephrine commonly as part of our protocol for running a code if someone's heart stops. And code blue is a bad one. You don't want that's that. That's a bad one. Yep. Not um, code red? There's no code that's a good one. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, you never hear like code yellow. It's like, well, I need some Nilla wafers. So I call it a code yellow. <laughs> I mean, co code blue is a bad one, but like code black means the computers are down. Code red means there's a fire. So, so I mean, yeah. none of them are great. No fun codes, right. <laughs> um, and, uh, and because it was good for raising blood pressure and heart rate and opening airways and improving your oxygenation, we figured out that it was really good for severe allergic reactions, specifically anaphylaxis. Okay. Um, and then, not, and because, uh, you know, some of the things I mentioned, I didn't clarify this in anaphylaxis, your blood pressure can plummet. And so something that would raise your blood pressure is really important so that you keep getting blood, you know, to all of your organs. It's very important. In the 1960s, we, we realized that epinephrine was good to have on hand. Um, it was good to have around for like emergency situations because we were figuring out more and more that people are severely allergic to some foods, like peanuts, for instance. Right. Some insects, like bees, for instance. And then some drug reactions, like penicillin, could be very severe and people could stop breathing. And so having epinephrine kind of in your emergency kit became standard. Um, it was so good that it became the World Health Organization listed it as an essential drug, meaning you've got to have, this is just something you have to have. Like it is a, it is an accepted worldwide standard. If you're going to be, um, you know, an emergency medical care facility, you've got to have this stuff. In the 1970s, Sheldon Kaplan made something called a combo pen. And this was actually initially just for the military in the event of chemical warfare. And it was something that would quickly auto-inject epinephrine into you. So you could click it yourself and shoot yourself full of epinephrine. So many advances there. Military and space program. So, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Thanks to the the military, definitely, for this one. Because what followed was in 1987, the EpiPen was born. <laughs> Now, for those of you keeping track, the EpiPen has been around since 1987. Okay. It's coming up on 30 years. Mm -hmm. Always a big, big milestone. Yeah. It's a pretty old drug. One thing to note about drugs is that the older they get traditionally, 
the cheaper they get. Mm-hmm. So just so that we're aware, the EpiPen was born in 1987. I was born in 1983, so just a little bit after me. Okay. Uh, the drug passed hands a few times, um, as these older drugs often do, as far as like what, con- what company owns them, who gets the patent on them. Um, it was bought as part of a generics package from Merck. So Merck is a big drug co- drug company you may have heard of, and it was uh, there's a there's a common theme where smaller pharmaceutical companies will buy up old generic drugs from big pharmaceutical companies. So a generic drug meaning like it has been around so long that the brand is gone and it can be generic. Right. So it was bought as part of some other generics. Uh, f- by Mylan Pharmaceuticals in 2007. Okay, but why, why, if it's a generic, why can't other people, everybody make them? Well, the fact is that just not many people do. There are just some drugs that not a lot of people are making, and the EpiPen and epinephrine in general is one of them. There are only a couple other drugs similar to the EpiPen. One, the AviQ, which was released just a couple years ago, got recalled almost, I mean, within two years of it coming out. So that one's not around anymore. There's also one called the AdrenaClick, mm-hmm. which you may have heard of. It's been around since 2003. It just doesn't have nearly the market share that EpiPen did. EpiPen is... And, and why that's important is not just because you've heard of it, Well, although that is important. What's really important is who, what formulary mm-hmm. uh, you have. So like your insurance company has a list of drugs that it wants me as your doctor to prescribe you. Okay. And if I'm going to go off that list, I have to justify why I'm going to do it. Well, the fact is, if two drugs are the same, and I know they would work the same, it's going to be really hard for me to argue why you should have one instead of the other. So that that can trip you up a lot of times. You know, if, if you want a certain drug, but another one's on your formulary, it can be really hard for you to get the one that you think might be better for you, um, or cheaper maybe. So when Mylan got the EpiPen, it was making about $200 million a year, the EpiPen was, okay, in profits. Right. Now it is making $1.1 billion a year. Okay. That's a lot more money. Um, Mylan's been pretty clever in a couple of areas. One has been getting it out as an essential drug in schools. Um, They actually, a lot of that was done through the United States government to mandate that schools have an EpiPen, which that's not a bad idea. I'm not saying that that's a bad idea, but it certainly was beneficial for Mylan to get to sell the U.S. You know, school right. system. Right, it sort of worked out great for everybody. Lots of EpiPens. Um, the other thing is they have a lot of commercials. There are a lot of very dramatic commercials for the EpiPen where you see people having these severe allergic reactions. Um, as a, And these are direct-to-consumer commercials to remind you that you need an EpiPen and to terrify parents. Mm-hmm. Um, now their drug, which initially was about 90 bucks for two, is $600 for two pens. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously... A pen is a single-use thing. Right. You use it, it's done. So two uses. Now, the bigger deal is you're probably not going to need these very often. So what tends to happen is you have to have them on hand because if you or your child or someone in your family has an anaphylactic response to something and you don't have this on hand, I mean, you can figure out the consequences. Sure. But they often expire before people ever get to use them. Thank goodness. Right. But they got to still get them. It's not like you can just hold on to an expired one. You've still got it. When that one runs out, you got to go get a new one. 
right. so that you always have one that would work on hand. Um, now, obviously, there's been a lot of fuss about how much this costs and how this is prohibitive. Um, Mylan's response to this has been they'll give you a half-off coupon. I heard also they're doing a half-off. This may be the same thing, but they're doing a generic version uh, that's half half as much. Right. Because yeah. $300 is a lot easier than $600, I guess, for some people. Um, why do drugs cost so much? That's what I was about to ask you, Sydney. That's a, that's a good question. Some of this goes back to... Um, you know, huh? Thank you. No, oh, you're welcome. It, a lot of this, you know, we started making drugs prescription really only in like the 50s. That's not really, that's a, kind of a newer concept if you think about it. Mm-hmm. What can be over the counter, what can be prescription. And along with in the 50s when we started regulating what was only prescribable by doctors, we started holding them up to all these new standards. And so all these drugs had to go through all these protocols to be approved, which increased the cost of making drugs. Because now you had to do a lot of studies to prove that they work, right? Right. To prove that they're safe. So the cost of making drugs definitely has gone up. But that is a small part because that's what a drug company will tell you is that it is just because of all the research and development that goes into making the drug. Um, However, it's more complicated than that. Um, when, When we go back to AZT, which is a medication for HIV... When it was first introduced to the market, it was costing people between like eight and ten thousand dollars a year to treat themselves with AZT. Um, now, at the time, that was a crazy amount for a medication. Today, right. with some cancer drugs, that'd be a drop in the bucket. But at the time, that was a crazy amount. And the reasoning was just, look, we're the only ones making it, and people really need it, and we don't have any competition, and it was really hard to make. So capitalism. Deal with it. Capitalism. Um, Since then, we've seen, um, and by the way, ACT UP protested on Wall Street and got the price reduced, which is a cool story. Yeah. ACT UP, actual reality. Yeah. Fight AIDS. Um, Check. Cancer drugs have followed suit as well. You interrupted my whole rent pastiche there that I was doing for everybody. All the rent hats. I was enjoying it. I was enjoying the rent. Uh, Cancer drugs have followed suit because they hold a similar place and that people really need them. People are, you know, they're scared and they're desperate for them and they're often hard to develop and the only one in a certain class. Um, Since 2000, the price of drugs in the U.S. is going up at a crazy rate. Um, Part of that is that there are a lot of new drugs um, and it costs a lot to make them. Uh, But uh, there's also a lot of the profits that pharmaceutical companies make go to administration. Sure. And marketing. Um, the, the, when the government allowed you, the drug companies, to start marketing drugs to you, the consumer, that greatly increased the price of drugs. Oh, which also, side note, is just here in the U.S. and Australia? I think that's, that right? Yeah, I think that's the Australia only other country that allows that. It's a crazy thing. Why are they marketing a drug to you? Why, I mean, think about that. Really think about that. Um, in addition, greed. Greed is a big part of why drugs are so expensive. Um, what happens a lot is that large companies, large pharmaceutical companies, may not even do all the research and development to make the drug. They will be watching a smaller company that has done that and has made this drug that they're going to start selling now that's a really important and they know is going to be a revolutionary breakthrough drug. The large company will buy that company. Um, and then start selling it at a crazy markup. And their excuse is, well, it costs so much to develop it. Well, they didn't, they didn't, bur- none of that cost was on them. Right, none of that right. cost burden was ever on them. It was on the smaller company that probably would have never sold it for that amount. Um, they also, um, 
uh, buy generics. This is another thing drug companies do. They'll buy generics that might hold a singular place in a treatment market and then mark them up crazily, which is what they've done with the EpiPen, which is what um, that jerk Martin Schrelecki, yeah. That same jerk did with the with the other HIV Careful medication. With the language. Sorry, <laughs> it's a jerk. It's the same idea. Buy up a generic and make it super expensive because it's the only thing that works, and people have to have it. Um, the length of patents has gotten longer, so a drug can stay brand name much longer than it used to, so that then they can charge that a brand name price for it. Which free market capitalists would tell you is a way to incentivize people to create new drugs. Right, because it's a really easy marketplace to get into. Do you have several million dollars with which to do the research and development for a new drug? I don't on hand. No. Um, and we have really trouble breaking the patents. You know, in Brazil, when HIV drugs got so expensive that the citizens couldn't afford them, the Minister of Health basically said, forget your patents, we're charging generic prices. Because you can do that when human lives are at stake. Now Brazil's got its own problems. Okay, now let's, Brazil has some other issues. It's not like they didn't get it. They didn't get it great on everything. I'm just saying there are ways right? around this. Um, there are also orphan drugs, which are drugs where like maybe only a small only for orphans. <laughs> no, only a small subset of the population really needs them because maybe it's for a rare disease. Right. Um, so the drug companies feel justified marking them up at crazy rates because I mean we're making them. Isn't that enough? Um, here's the other point. We fund up to 85% of the basic research that goes into these drugs through our taxes. Up to 85% of the research that they are so overwhelmed with paying for is funded by taxpayers. The basic research, not the final clinical trials. That doesn't seem quite fair, Sydney. So we are all invested in these drugs that we can't afford. Um, and you can't negotiate because this isn't a free market. You don't choose the disease you have. You didn't get to go negotiate for which illness you wanted to get. Sure. You don't get to pick the treatment that was already created that is appropriate for the illness that you just got. You can't, capitalism does not apply to disease and It really illness. is where capitalism as a model, one of the many ways in which it breaks down is when, it, when you apply it to, to medicine. It just doesn't make any sense anymore. No, it doesn't make any Either sense at all. Either you need or you do not need. There is no want in there. It's, it's No, you didn't go buy diabetes. So it doesn't make sense that there's some, some way for us to just compete to see which diabetes treatment you get. Vicki, I don't know. Uh, listen, she said at Christmas <laughs> she wanted this diabetes, and so we scrimped and we saved and we got her diabetes. She, had, she never plays with it. All she does <laughs> is complain about it. And we have to keep hard candies in your purse constantly. I, I regret it. Honestly, I do. We should have gotten the puppy. I told you we should have gotten the puppy. What are some actual things that we could do to fix this? Because obviously this is the system is broken, as indicated by the fact that a life-saving medication that has been around since 1987 is, I mean, unobtainable by many, many people in this country right now. So we need to be able to negotiate drug prices. For instance, the government should be able to negotiate the prices of drugs through Medicare, which is a government-funded, well, taxpayer government-funded healthcare program. They should be able to go to the drug companies and negotiate the costs of the drugs that they're going to pay for. They can't do that right now. That's a really easy thing that is constantly introduced in the House and then killed. That would be a really easy thing for you to tell your representative that you would want to happen. We need price caps. The 
there's just no reason. These drugs are just so, ex- and there's no reason. There's no justification. There is no research and development that justifies the price of some of these drugs. It's crazy. Um, they're price capping in every other country works. It works. We need that. Um, we need march-in rights, which is sort of what I'm. What I said when uh, I, I mentioned Brazil broke the patents. We need that. We need that. We need to be able to say, listen, we can't keep this on patent anymore. People are dying. We need to do something. We need that ability. Um, we need faster generics. Right now, the process for getting generics approved, like to, to go from brand to generic through um, the FDA, is crazy long. It takes them so long to get these generics approved and make sure that they're equivalent to the brand that they say they are. Um, we have to find a way to expedite that process, to do it safely, to do it appropriately, but also to do it faster, remove some of the red tape so that we can get these drugs out there. We need to import drugs from other countries if we're not going to do it right. You well, need to be able to I'm buy your not, drugs from I, Canada I if you're not. That, I mean. Buy USA, right? I don't buy anything that's American-made. I, I certainly am not going to start with drugs. If Charlie needed an EpiPen and you could get it from Canada and we couldn't afford it from here, you'd buy it in a heartbeat. Yeah, that's true. But like, could go USA. <laughs> I'm just saying, either we'll either we do it right, or we need to start letting people get. I mean, if it's you know, if we're a global economy, <laughs> let them buy drugs where they can afford them. Um, Obviously, you can talk to your doctor about some things. Sometimes we can do things with like giving you 90 days instead of 30 days to help out with the cost. Sometimes we can figure out other cheaper medications that might still work. Sometimes um, talking to your pharmacist or looking for other pharmacies can help. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also you can call your representatives um, because there there are actual things that could be done laws that could be passed that have that have done well all over the world that we could do to take money out of medicine and put drugs in the hands of people who need them. So it's not the same thing as buying a new car when you go to the doctor and get a medication prescribed. It's not the same thing, and we have to stop treating it like it is in this country. All right, Sid, you convince me. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to buy an EpiPen. You're going to buy an EpiPen? Yeah, is that what we're working towards? It, did you want me to get an EpiPen? If you're trying to sell me an EpiPen, <laughs> they sound great. They're very hot right now. No, Hottest ticket in town. Still, They're the Hamilton tickets of drugs. <laughs> you still need a prescription. That's a Hollywood crazy thing. Hollywood starlets love the EpiPen. That's a crazy thing. They're advertising something to you you can't buy. I mean, you can, but only if I prescribe it to you. It's crazy. Uh, folks, that's going to do it for us. Thank you so much for enjoying our program. Thanks to everybody uh, out there who has been sharing the show and tweeting about the show and, and what have you. We sure appreciate it. Um, we uh, want to say a special thank you to the taxpayers for letting us use our song Medicines as the intro and outro of our program. Right this second, if you go over to the taxpayers.bandcamp.com, you are going to be able to uh, listen to a different version of uh, our uh, our theme song um, that that uh, that is, is really cool. That's actually just... I misspoke, just taxpayers.bandcamp.com, not the taxpayers. So taxpayers.bandcamp.com, head over there uh, and check all that out. And uh, thank you to the Maximum Fun Network for having us on. There's a ton of great shows for you to enjoy. Uh, Might I recommend uh, Still Buffering, a show that Sydney hosts with her sisters Taylor and Riley as they try to navigate the choppy waters of teen life is a fine program, and I think you would enjoy it. If you found it, this one, you can find that one where you found this one. It's Thank not you, hard. Justin. Yeah, hey, nice at least I can do sister. Uh, uh, folks, that's going to do it for us. Until next week, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head.
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.